0: This week on the Iowa Watch
1: Connection. We went in wondering to what extent Republicans would take advantage of their newfound authority. We got our answer. The
0: Iowa legislative session was known for a lot of activity.
2: I mean, We're budgeting at 99.9% or 99% of what the revenue is, and so we've got to quit doing those types of things.
0: But not everyone was in agreement with what was passed.
3: It was productive in that there were a lot of bills passed I found it frustrating.
0: Reviewing the 2017 legislative session, our topic this week.
4: The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein.
0: It may go down in history as one of the most impactful sessions ever. The 2017 Iowa Legislative Session tackled major topics such as collective bargaining, gun rights, abortion, and voter identification. Left on the table, tax reform and water quality legislation. On Friday, Governor Terry Branstead started the day by signing three major pieces of legislation, one on mental health funding, one on election reform, and one placing limitations on abortions. Within 90 minutes, the Iowa Supreme Court had issued a temporary injunction halting enforcement of a key provision of the abortion law, the 72-hour waiting period. That whole scenario seems to sum up the session, major pieces of legislation passed by a new Republican majority, and lawsuits filed by predictable opponents. Much of the session was controlled by money, or rather the lack of it. The state had to dip into its rainy day fund to avoid a second significant budget reversion in the current fiscal year. Representative Walt Rogers of Cedar Falls says forecasting of state revenue needs to change going forward.
2: We're going to be in a, in a tough situation again and um, this year we only had six million dollars of new available revenue to work with and we are looking at things to uh, get a better estimate of what we bring in every year. The problem this year was the Revenue Estimating Conference came in about $200 million more than they said they were going to get six months ago. And so because of that, we'd had to do two appropriations bills, which messed everything up. We spent three weeks, the first part of session, just doing the deappropriation for 2017. And uh, so we've done some things to maybe make that more efficient. It's just an inefficient system where you, you're basically budgeting on an estimate where you think the money is going to come in, and um, sometimes it doesn't. And uh, so we've got to get better at estimating how much money we get in every year. Uh, And we can't be budgeting so tight. I mean, if we're budgeting at 99.9% or 99% of what the revenue is, uh, a little bit of fluctuation in in that dollar amount coming in is going to throw everything off, which it did this year. And so we've got to quit doing those types of things.
0: But Democrat Senator Jeff Danielson of
2: Cedar Falls says the revenue issue is broader than that. We need to think about the revenue that we're foregoing, which is spending in a different way. It's called tax expenditures. Some people call it tax credits, tax cuts, tax breaks. But total in Iowa is about $12 billion. And uh, I think we need to go in and calibrate that, regularly review it like every other budget item, in addition to our estimates but also to our current expenditures. All three, I think, have to be talked about at the same time.
0: And State Representative Tom Moore, a Griswold Republican, says borrowing from the cash reserves means legislators face even more tough budget decisions in the 2018 session.
1: That means that out of the 2018 and 2019 budgets, we're going to have to make a concerted effort to pay back that $131 million. so therefore the budgets in 18 and in 19 will be lower than what we would like them to be, just because we have to make that repayment back.
0: Glenwood Republican David Seek says despite the lack of revenue, the legislature can point to a number of accomplishments this session.
1: Being able to increase school aid on the supplemental, that was great. The texting while driving bill, worked on our Second Amendment. I've never seen so many bills, you know, I haven't been there that long. Worked on Lyme's disease, certain treatment they couldn't do to try to open that up a little bit. Joint elections for cities and schools, just on and on and on.
0: The view from Democrats differs from that of Republicans. This is Clinton Democrat Representative Mary Wolf.
3: As opposed to the word productive, I mean, it was productive in that there were a lot of bills passed. um, But I found it frustrating, and I think most of my colleagues would would take that position in that I think a lot of the big policy bills that were passed were, um, they were, bipartisan or they were not they were partisan in nature and that there there wasn't a lot of input from um, from my party and I I think because of that they ended up being um, bills that I guess we didn't believe a lot of them reflected um, what was was best for Iowa. Having said that, my hope is that next session we can come back and maybe work together a little more now that the majority party has kind of gotten their to-do list, at least a big big chunk of that out of the way, and maybe work together on some bills like the water quality bill that that will be good for Iowa, um, for all Iowans.
0: Similar thoughts were expressed by Senator Rita Hart, a Wheatland Democrat.
3: I would have
5: to say that, yes, uh, there was a lot of things that happened this session, and I would say that um, because of that, we really have become more divided as a state, and that is really unfortunate. And that would be my take of this session, is that it was very disappointing from the get-go that we came into this session knowing that uh, the majority had sh- had shifted, and so quite prepared to, of course, take a minority position. But as you know, the majority always gets their way, and therefore the minority should get their say. and And this particular session did not go that way. The session started out right away very contentiously, with um, with a shutdown of public input, and certainly no um, um, ability, no um, interest in re- listening to the other side. And for that reason, they, they, um, the Republicans in the Senate particularly in, imp, implemented new rules, and uh, those rules um, um, bypassed uh, bipartisan um, participation and public input. And that, I think, was extremely troubling and disappointing. Now, as the session went on, I think that that... Um, that kind of changed, and so some things were able to be done in a bipartisan fashion. And so there were some good things that happened through the session, um, again, towards the end of the session. And and so um, I'm hoping that, yes, that we learn some lessons from that.
0: Among the bills signed into Law Friday was the Election Modernization and Integrity Act, which drew some opposition because of its requirement of voter identification at the polls. Secretary of State Paul Pate is Commissioner of Elections in Iowa and fought for the bill. I asked him to summarize the most common misconceptions about it.
6: Well, I think that they believe that their registration process is changing uh, along with uh, the the process they use when they go to vote. and And, and in fact, the average voter they won't see much of any change the only real change for the voter is we're going to ask them at the 2019 election to have some type of id and we've identified uh, the forms that we'd like and those who don't have those we're going to send up a free one that's that's the really only thing that changes and even then and if they don't have that with them when they go to vote we'll just have them use a provisional ballot so that they have time to you know Produce it later so nobody gets turned away who's an eligible voter so there's really no change for them there the only real change is if they vote by absentee when they request their absentee they're going to have to handwrite on the request form their id number with their signature and mail it in that's the only different real different thing that a voter is doing um, the burden really falls on us as administrators we're doing all the lifting
0: Aaron Murphy covers the legislature for Lee Enterprises newspapers in Iowa. He sums up the feeling of many observers.
1: I think the bottom line for me is we went in wondering, uh, or at least I did, um, and I know others I talked to wondering, to what extent Republicans would uh, essentially um, take advantage of their newfound authority with having complete lawmaking control. You know, would they take? you know, progressive steps, baby steps, so to speak, or would they uh, take as big a bite of the apple as they could get? And uh, we got our answer. It was definitely uh, more of the latter. They did uh, almost everything they could and did it in a big way, and uh, we'll see what they have left. There's still a few things they'd still like to do uh, next year as well, uh, including school choice and uh, tax reform.
0: Coming up, we'll hear from a political scientist on the impact of the 2017 session on Iowa Now and in the future. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. We continue our review of the 2017 Iowa Legislative Session now by speaking with a return guest to the program, University of Northern Iowa political science professor Christopher Larimer. It will take some time to really get a good sense of things, but how historic is Might this session of the legislature go down being because of the various different things Mm -hmm. from collective bargaining to abortion that Republicans were able to make some headway
7: on from their standpoint? I think uh, it could potentially go down as one of the most historic in terms of, as you said, big policy changes, right? Collective bargaining, uh, the gun rights bill. Uh, is certainly a significant piece of legislation than, as you said, the number of bills dealing with women's right to to choose, whether it's the Planned Parenthood, limiting abortion after 20 weeks, and then the personhood bill, which was introduced, but didn't make it uh, to a full vote. Uh, You know, so I think historically, you probably have to go back either to the 1965 session that created, you know, the community colleges, did away with the death penalty, um, created, I think, the Public Defender's Office. There were eight constitutional amendments that session. That was at least in my mind, that's always been considered kind of the historic legislative session. And it was a case where you came off the 1964 elections where you had a b- big democratic takeover. And so a lot of things were happening. You know, the session a few years ago where we saw health care reform, education reform, the commercial property tax reform all in one session, that was a big session. But I think this one actually eclipsed that because it touches on so many different aspects of policy, so many different policy arenas, Like I said, whether you're talking about uh, women's right to choose, whether you're talking about gun rights, collective bargaining, that affects virtually everybody in the state. And um, you saw significant changes there. And, And it was a case this session where you really didn't see a break on what legislators wanted to do. Right. There was no stopping point. They seemed I mean, they were introducing things they've always introduced, but there were things that were moving very quickly through the chamber. People
0: who have listened to this program have heard me tell this before, but while in Des Moines during the session and speaking to a first-year lawmaker Mm -hmm. on the Republican side, she indicated that in their caucus, some of them were saying, hey, guys, we'd like to come back for another term. You're pushing too far, too fast for me to be able to defend this record. Did the Republicans push too far, too fast
7: to where there may
0: be a backlash in 2018 with voters?
7: I think that's still hard to know. Uh, Generally, we think of voters as having kind of short-term memories, Uh, so I think you know that that remains to be seen whether or not uh, some of those legislators who are in swing districts or districts that are more balanced in terms of party registration are punished next year at the polls. I think that's still a long ways out. I think part of the consideration for Republican, well, I think a number of things. One, you know, this was the first time with unified control in 20 years. The, for the last six years, a lot of the proposals that they had introduced in the Iowa House were being stopped by Mike Gronstahl in the Senate. So I think there was some built-up frustration there. Uh, I think another point is that you had a governor in this case who everybody knew was on his way out. Uh, so there was no, there was not going to be any loss in uh, political capital if he signs a bill that's more controversial than he normally would. Uh, that's not Lieutenant Governor Reynolds' signature on the bill. That's Governor Brand said who will no longer be there in 2018. And, and so, and I think all of those things coming together and uh, along with legislators in Des Moines who are, who have become increasingly more, I think, conservative in some areas, um, I think all those things coming together, you saw a very fast moving legislature and they knew that 2008, they know that 2018 is an election year. You can't do some of these things in, in an election year. You can't, I think something like the gun rights bill, uh, The bills on banning abortion after 20 weeks and requiring a 72-hour waiting period. Um, Even some of the bills that were introduced, like the personhood amendment bill. I mean, those are things that in an election year voters are going to remember. But right now we're, you know, 16 months out and um, they have a little bit of time to separate themselves.
0: There are some on the right. Who don't think they went far enough. Mm-hmm. They threatened to be back in 2018. But again, with that being an election year, not just in the legislature, but also in the executive branch, it's going to be very hard to continue pushing the rightward agenda next term.
7: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think what you probably see next term in 2018 are are bills that are introduced again. And and you always see a number of bills introduced the first couple of weeks of the session that you know are not going to really go anywhere. But I think what next year we'll probably see are those bills being put aside after a subcommittee vote, or put aside after a full committee vote that are going to be pushed off until 2019 if Republicans are able to uh, retain control. But I don't think you're going to see as extreme of legislation uh, getting full votes on the floor Um, And I'd be surprised if they end up on uh, Lieutenant Governor Reynolds or soon-to-be Governor Reynolds' desk going into an election year.
0: And yet tax reform was not one of those Mm -hmm. items that was addressed, and it was a high priority for many people going into the session. Given the financial numbers Mm -hmm. and the fact that they had to borrow from the Rainy Day Fund just to pay bills this time, and they have to make that up, they Mm -hmm. can't just let that fund be depleted according to state law, is tax reform really going to be addressed in 2018?
7: I think that's a great question. I think it's hard to know. Um, I think, you know, the, the budget, the declining revenues, which are, are in part related to the tax reform issue of tax reform, uh, you know, those are things they're going to have to, at some point, they are going to have to tackle, but it's going to be a very long and contentious conversation. And whether or not you want to do that in election year, I think is another question. I think water quality is another issue that w- a lot of people thought was going to be addressed. I certainly did uh, this session, and that's been pushed off. And now what do you do going into an election year? Do you try to tackle something like water quality, where you, that really brings out the rural versus urban divide in Iowa? And that's going another very contentious issue.
0: I wonder if perhaps water quality is an easier sell because of the impact on all of us and our neighboring states, mm-hmm. whereas tax reform really does get down to dollars and cents, declining revenues, and the perception that it
7: favors voters of one party as opposed to another? I I, I think it's certainly easier to understand what what water quality is. I think if you start talking about taxes and taxes in an election year, that becomes very complicated. And so if you're trying to sell an easy narrative to voters, talking about the complexity of tax reform, whether it's commercial tax reform, the budget, the budget shortfall, as you said, the the rainy day fund or the the economic emergency fund, you know, you're trying to separate, you know, what our reserves look like. I think that becomes a much harder sell and discussion to voters. Whereas you said, like, I agree with you that water quality is probably an easier sell when you, when you're talking to voters because they can understand the importance of having water quality. It just becomes more complicated, you know, particularly this session when we had the lawsuit with Des Moines Waterworks and and those Northwestern counties. I think those types of issues are. are That's where it becomes a harder sell for legislators.
0: If you're advising the Republicans and then the Democrats, Mm -hmm. what should they be doing now before next January in order to make their case for their respective agendas stronger as 2018 begins?
7: Well, I think for the Republicans, it's, um, you know, if they're thinking about the the, the gubernatorial race, for example, uh, you know, I think it's... Thinking about the extent to which their party wants to be associated with the Republican Party nationally and with presidential politics, because we we know that those that that you know presidential politics do play a factor in gubernatorial races, not as much as maybe in a Senate race or a, a House ra- a U.S. House race, but presidential politics matter. And right now, the president of their part, who is a member of their party, has a very low approval rating or relatively low approval rating. So I think you know the extent to which they want to separate themselves. Uh, from the president going into 2018. I think talking about, uh, you know, some of the things they've done in a way that highlights, you know, budget savings going forward is is probably a a safe route. Um, But I think generally just thinking about what is the image of the Republican Party? Because right now we've come out of a session where, like we talked about at the beginning, where they've pushed very hard to the right on on a lot of, on some budget-related issues, but on a lot of social issues. And thinking about, you know, to what extent is that going to play well with the general election electorate in Iowa in November of 2018 and starting to identify races where it may matter and may and may not matter? Certainly races in northwest Iowa, it's probably not going to matter. Um, but there are swing districts around the state that are going to be up in 2018 where they're going to have to think about how do we frame what we did in 2017. And so it may be taking a safer route in 2018, where which is why we may not see a lot of the bills that we saw introduced this session introduced in 2018.
0: They did it this year because they knew they couldn't do it exactly. next year. What about the Democrats? What if you're Rob Hogue or the House Democrats as you try to regroup and get ready for the next session?
7: I think you talk about uh, what Republicans did with unified control this year and whether or not that represents the interests of all Iowans. I think they have a lot of material there to say that, hey, they, they pulled back the rights on a lot of Iowans this session. And is that really what you want going forward? I think that's that's what the Democrats are going to be focusing on is that Republicans, the, my guess is that if, if Democrats are looking to make that, you know, campaign pitch or that campaign commercial, it's going to be that here's what the Republicans did with unified control. Do you like it, right? And um, I think it's going to be talking a lot about the social issues, uh, the gun rights bill, defunding of Planned Parenthood or setting up the new network for regarding uh, related to Planned Parenthood. Uh, You know, some of the bills on uh, abortion, certainly the bill on collective bargaining. I I have to believe that that's going to be mentioned in every Democratic candidate's commercial going forward in 2018.
0: An interesting session, to be sure, with uh, another one straight ahead. Thanks for the insight. Sure, of course. University of Northern Iowa political science professor Christopher Larimer speaking with me in Waterloo this past Thursday. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more, iowawatch.org. And you can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. We also thank Iowa Watch Connection affiliates for providing material used in this program, including KMA in Shenandoah, KROS in Clinton, and KXEL in Waterloo, Cedar Falls, Cedar Rapids, where the program is produced each week. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week.
4: The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.